In the New Covenant, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, the Lord is promising and states, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Coming up on Daily in Christ, the transforming power of God's mercy and total forgiveness. And I welcome you once again to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos, and we are continuing in our study together of the book of Hebrews. The study is entitled, Hebrews, the Glory of the New Covenant. Last time on Daily in Christ, we are taking up this promise from God, from the New Covenant in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, where God says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. We, in our lesson last time, talked about the fact that God's mercy and his forgiveness are not transient or temporary. Unfortunately, most Christians base their whole theology of forgiveness of sins on one verse, 1 John 1, nine. That's the verse that says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, most Christians base their entire theology of forgiveness of sins on this one verse, 1 John 1, nine. But this is a horrible error. And if you need to remember anything, never build a theology on one verse. Never. These same folks who build an entire theology of forgiveness of sins on 1 John 1.9 are typically ignorant of a massive class of scriptures that make it abundantly clear that the perfection of God's forgiveness is based on the perfection of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, and his finished work. All the blessings of God are based upon the perfection of Jesus. They are based upon his finished work. And remember that God's grace is is God totally loving you, totally accepting you, and totally blessing you, not because you're so good, but because God is that good. Well, in the previous lesson, we started going through a large number of scripture verses that speak about the totality and the completeness of God's forgiveness. It's important for Christians to understand this because this truth has a powerful effect on our Christian lives. It sets us free from bondage, Otherwise, we've got an attitude in our Christian life that I'm forgiven, uh-oh, only until the next time I sin. And the way that I get forgiven is I have to confess the sin. Now, there's practical problems with that as well as theological problems. Number one, if every time we sinned, we had to confess our sins in order to be forgiven of our sin and cleansed by God, there are many times that we sin that we may not be aware of it. Remember, the Bible's definition of sin is whatever is not of faith is sin. How many things did you do today that were without faith? Well, you had committed sin each and every time. If you fed the poor without faith, guess what? You sinned. Yep, that's the definition. And there are so many times when sin might occur and we might forget about it or whatever. But the truth of the Bible is clear that our forgiveness of sins is not based upon confession. It's based upon 
blood. In the old covenant, it took blood for the uh, atonement of sins. Under the new covenant, it takes blood, the perfect blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring us into totality of forgiveness of sins. As we begin this second part of uh, focusing on this aspect of the um, forgiveness of God in the new covenant, I'd like to take us into Luke chapter 7, beginning in uh, verse 36. Jesus has been invited into the home of a Pharisee, and while he was there at the Pharisee's house, they sat down to eat. And picking it up in verse 37, it says, And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little." I want to draw your attention to this link between forgiveness of sins and loving God. Forgiveness of sins and loving God. Jesus says here, those who have been forgiven little, the same loves little. This woman had been uh, forgiven of many sins. But I'd like to say that all of us have been forgiven a tremendous amount by the Lord. In Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, it says, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb with their tongues. They have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full Full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, listen to this, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may be guilty, uh, become guilty before God. Now that's serious stuff. That is not just a few of us, that's 
all of us. The fall is catastrophic. The offense against God's holiness is immense. Each of us have been forgiven an incredible amount. But see, what happens is if we don't understand the depth of God's forgiveness, the totality of the sacrifice that's been made, if we do not appreciate the full sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished, if we think that our forgiveness is something that comes and goes, is transient and temporary, that impacts our love relationship with God. Now, it doesn't change the love that God has for us but it does impact our love of God. I want you to see this. It is so important for us to grasp the idea that when we understand the depths and the sufficiency and the perfection and completeness of our forgiveness, it radically transforms our life. It changes us into lovers of God. And don't you want that? I sure want that. Well, let's continue in these powerful verses that clearly testify about the incredible depth and sufficiency of that forgiveness, how complete it is. And I'd like you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. It says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, speaking of the law covenant sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. Now, do you see the linkage between the perfect sacrifice and the effect of of that perfect sacrifice. Under the old covenant, they weren't perfect. It was the blood of bulls and goats. Even the priests themselves were sinners. And so it says in verse two, if you had a perfect sacrifice, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, speaking of the covenant of law sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Do you see the principle? An imperfect sacrifice never gets the job done. Therefore, it needs to be repeated endlessly. This is a repeating theme in Hebrews. The imperfection of man and his vain attempts to please God and the incompleteness of the law to make man complete on the one hand, but on the other hand, the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Back to Hebrews chapter 10, now in verse 8, it says, Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, speaking of Jesus, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that's speaking of the law, that he may establish the second, that's the new covenant of grace, by that will, whose will? The will of Jesus Christ, saying, I have come to do your will, O God. By that will, we have been sanctified, made holy, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Do you see it? Jesus steps in. 
the perfect man who is the perfect son of God. And he says, Father, I will get it done. Boy, that's powerful stuff. The effect of a perfect sacrifice means it doesn't need to be repeated again, over and over again. And see, that's why this practice that so many Christians are caught in, this bondage of confession in order to receive forgiveness, is something that is suspect right out of the gate. Because under the, new, the old covenant, the covenant of law, it was imperfect sacrifices with imperfect priests. And it resulted, it had an imperfect result. And so that's why it had to be endlessly repeated. But under the new covenant, we have a perfect sacrifice, right? The sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ himself by a perfect high priest, priest the Lord Jesus himself. You see, the great theme of the book of Hebrews, the new covenant, and the entire Bible comes down to this, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is a perfect son who is my perfect high priest, living a perfect life, perfectly loving the father with a perfect obedience, perfectly loving others, perfectly suffering, offering himself as a perfect sacrifice with perfect blood, dying a perfect death, rising with a perfect resurrection, according ascending to a perfect throne, now perfectly reigning at the Father's right hand. Let me ask you, how can you improve perfect? That's why Jesus did it all. That's why Jesus accomplished all. And that's why Jesus is all. Do you see it? Do you see it? Why do we always go back to our religious, endless motions and things like this? It's because we don't know about these incredible things of the Lord Jesus Christ himself and what he has accomplished. Dr. F.B. Meyer, a great Christian of a previous generation, in a notable address at a famous convention said this, Years ago, I met an aged man who said that each night before he went to sleep, he confessed all the sins he could remember in order that if he should die in his sleep, he would be sure of going to God. But I said, is this not a terrible slur on God's faithfulness? Did he not say, I will remember their sins no more? Wow, that's well said. It is indeed a terrible slur against God's faithfulness, his commitment to keeping his promises in the new covenant and the perfect finished work of Jesus Christ when we brush aside the myriad of scriptures which testify of these things and buy into a temporary and transient forgiveness, a confess your sins to get forgiven theology, which is really no forgiveness at all. Okay, so you might be saying, well, what about 1 John 1, 9? It is in the Bible. Well, again, clearly you cannot build an entire theology on just one verse. And clearly, as we have seen, and I haven't even gone through all of the verses, there are myriad scriptures which connect the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ to our complete salvation and the total and for ever forgiveness and remission of our sins, past, present, and future. 
1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, in view of these overwhelming facts, 1 John 1.9 is clearly not speaking to Christians, but to non-Christians. In fact, in context, John the Apostle in 1 John was addressing the Gnostic heresy. I can't get into the details of um, Gnosticism. There were many things that were wrong about that heresy, but it was basically taught, one of the wrong things was that they had no sin. But John was making the very clear case, and this is in 1 John 1, 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And again, in verse 10, the verses that surround verse 9, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. They were dealing with this problem of the Gnostics who believed that um, they didn't have any sin. Well, I just read to you a few minutes ago, Romans chapter 3, uh, verses 10 through 19, that make it very clear that the human race definitely has the very serious issue of sin. And 1 John 1, nine is going to the person who is unsaved, who, be, who is entering into belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing that they are a sinner, that they have done wrong, and they receive by faith because of Jesus and his perfect life and perfect sacrifice and perfect blood, complete and forever forgiveness and cleansing and sanctification. Okay, you may be wondering, so what should I do then when I sin? Well, Christian, let me say this. First of all, thank God for the perfect sacrifice of God's own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. Think about all he walked through for you. Think about all he did for you. Don't insult Jesus. Don't insult the perfection of his person and his perfect worth and his perfect work, and his perfect sacrifice, and his perfect blood. Don't insult it. Thank God for the perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, thank God for the perfect blood of the Lord Jesus, which provides for the total remission of sins and total forgiveness. You know, the Greek word for confess in 1 John 1.9 is homologeo. It literally means in the Greek, same word. It means agreeing with God. It's okay to confess your sin to God. It's important to agree with him about sin, but it is extremely important to understand that we do not confess our sins to be forgiven of them. Why? Because we've been forgiven already. Therefore, we must thankfully rest in the perfect finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and his total forgiveness. The appropriate response to something wonderful that's been done for us is to say, thank you. When you sin, stop. It's okay to say, Lord, you're right. That's wrong. But at that moment, in saying, Lord, forgive me of my sin. When you've received total forgiveness, say, thank you, Father, for your total forgiveness of my sins, past, 
present and future. Thank you for the perfect blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know some of you are going to say, well, that sounds a little bit cheap. That sounds like, uh, you know, sort of a license for sin. You know, if a person is forgiven already, then, hey, why not just go ahead and sin? You know what? When I hear people say such things, I have a couple of responses. First of all, I have never, ever, ever in my entire life, and I'm almost 54 years old, I have never heard of a single Christian who looked at the perfect sacrifice and life of the Lord Jesus Christ, the death that was done for them, and said, oh, goody, I get to sin. No. Now, I've met many Christians who regret the fact that they sin, and they want to experience freedom from the bondage of sin. They want to to live victoriously. A key to the victorious life is understanding through the scripture, through the spirit, what we're talking about right now, the total forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to wrap up here by looking at the very first word of uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, the word for, where it says, for, the Lord is speaking, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Remember that verse 12 is the last verse of the new covenant proper. We have been studying that uh, through the last several episodes of uh, Daily in Christ. Let's take it one more time. From verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none of his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Do you see it right there? God says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. You see, the basis of everything else in the new covenant is this right here, verse 12. Whenever you see a clause that begins with the word for, it provides the reason for the prior clause. So the reason why God says that uh, God puts his laws in our mind and writes them on our hearts and that we're his people and he is our God and we know him personally and intimately is because God says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. The basis of the new covenant is God's mercy and total forgiveness. And why is God merciful? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says this, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins. So what's even behind the mercy of God? The great love of God. That's the whole reason why he does this. It isn't because there's anything in us that's forgivable. It's because, or lovable, it's because of God's great heart of love. It's because God is that good. It's because God is that loving. He can't help it. 
Remember what it says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, one more verse, and we wrap up Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, in that he says, A new covenant he has made the first obsolete. Now, that's speaking of the covenant of law. Now, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Let's talk about the obsolescence of the law covenant, or what's been known commonly as the old covenant. It's become obsolete to whom? Well, those who are in Christ, those who in him are recipients of the blessings of the new covenant. You see, the key behind the idea of obsolescence of the covenant of law is where it says in calling it a new covenant. It means that the Lord Jesus Christ has made the first law covenant obsolete. He has done it. This is a lot like a last will and testament. Uh, If you've ever prepared a last will and testament for yourself, um, you realize that any succeeding last wills and testaments automatically and legally replace prior testaments. And um, that's usually the first line in a person's will. So, But you see, you could have a person who, for instance, goes to a lawyer's office and drafts uh, a will, and then some years later, um, he writes a new will on a napkin, and he has a friend who witnesses that. That will, that last will and testament that was written on the napkin supersedes the prior will that was done fancy in a lawyer's office. Why? Because that's the way it works. The succeeding testaments replace the prior testaments. This is what has happened between the new covenant of grace and the old covenant of law. The new covenant has completely replaced the covenant of law and made the covenant of law completely obsolete. Everything about the covenant of law is completely irrelevant. Some might say, even the Ten Commandments? That's right, even the Ten Commandments. Because the covenant of law is an integrated whole. It is a covenant that encompasses over 600 commandments and laws. We are not at liberty to slice and dice the covenant of law into little bits and pieces and say, well, okay, yeah, there's 600 and whatever, 601 um, commandments and regulations that are irrelevant, but there is these 10 right here. Well, you can't do that. You can't divide up a duly enacted covenant, certainly not a blood covenant. That would be like, for instance, you get a mortgage on your house and you decide to say, you know, uh, yeah, this is a nice mortgage, but there are some parts I'm going to obey and there are some parts I'm not going to hold to. Like, I'm not going to hold to that part about paying anything. I think that's just really inconvenient. Well, you can't do that for long because you're going to end up in court or you're going to have uh, some severe penalties coming your way because you violated the covenant. We are not at liberty to divide up, to cut up the covenant of law. There's no such thing as buffet law. You know, it's not cafeteria 
law. The law is an integrated whole. It is not just 10 commandments. It's over 600 commandments. So if the law in any part is relevant, then the entire part is binding and you can't get out of it. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ came as the perfect man. He fulfilled every point of the law with perfect obedience to the Father and he died the perfect death. He accomplished everything. He fulfilled everything. The law has been satisfied. That covenant is now obsolete. It has been replaced and succeeded by one, the new covenant of grace with the Lord Jesus Christ in the middle of it. And that new covenant of grace is forever. This new covenant produces a people who have the perfect man inside, the Lord Jesus Christ. And through the Holy Spirit, he's alive inside of us. The just shall live by faith. Coming up soon, we will be having a series when we finish this series uh, in the book of Hebrews. One of our series that we'll be following will be um, not under law, but under grace. But right here in the book of Hebrews, we have to say over and over and over again, it's quite clear the perfection and the infinite superiority of the new covenant that is centered and based upon the Lord Jesus Christ versus the inferiority of the law covenant, which is based and centered on me, on you. Which one is better? Well, it's quite obvious the one that's based and centered on the Lord Jesus Christ is infinitely better. You're under an infinitely superior covenant. And that is why it says there in verse 13, and that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Let's pray. Father God, it is quite clear from your word about the perfection of Jesus and what that means in terms of total forgiveness and complete mercy. And Lord, we have done wrong. Lord, we have violated you. We have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that includes us. Father, you have met the greatness of our wrong with the infinite superiority of your love and your goodness and your righteousness and your ability given to us freely through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your mercy, your rich mercy because of your great love. Father, thank you for total forgiveness. Dear Father, I pray that you would now, through the Holy Spirit, enlighten us. Turn the light on, Lord, that we would see the clear dimensions of your great love, of your rich mercy, of your total forgiveness. And Father, I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, for mercy. I thank you, Lord, for total forgiveness that is given to me and given to every single person who calls upon the name of the Lord and is saved. Thank you for this, Lord, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.